Hey now, we are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times, data, with the WWE edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, getting over is back once again. We are here to talk all things SmackDown, all things, unfortunately, Raw, and everything else that went down in the world of WWE this week. Company is still kind of coming off a pretty crazy edition of SummerSlam. It's on the road to Extreme Rules later in September. So there's a lot happening on both shows. We're going to break all of it down for you on this episode of Getting Over. I will be welcoming vintage Chris Vanini into the show momentarily. Before we get to that, you know we take care of business here on Getting Over and remind you that Getting Over We want those five-star ratings and reviews from you on Apple Podcasts. We did get a few new reviews over the last week. I appreciate all of those who did that. And yes, they were all about the five. Uh, But look, we can't have too many. And considering we are coming off one of the greatest weeks, I'm sorry, forget that, the greatest week in show history, it's all about the five. We want more of those five-star reviews. But what do I mean by greatest week in show history? Well, let me tell you. The CM Punk special edition of the Getting Over podcast, published Friday night, instant reaction style, is the number three most downloaded episode of this show all time. And the WWE SummerSlam instant analysis is officially the number one most downloaded episode in Getting Over history. So I appreciate all of you for that. The fact that SummerSlam get more attention than a WrestleMania instant analysis or even a Royal Rumble instant analysis, which were previously our number one and number two episodes of all time is absolutely incredible. So I appreciate all of you listening to the show, sharing the show with friends and family, telling people to listen to your favorite wrestling podcast. It means the world to us. Also, do not forget, not only is this show all about the five, we're also all about social media interaction. So please do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Not only do we tweet about shows live as they happen, we do post pre and post show polls ahead of pay-per-views and we do live shows on Twitter spaces before major pay-per-view events. So again, do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. So with all of that out of the way, I do bring in vintage Chris Vanini to talk about this week in WWE. And to me, this was a bit of an odd week. SmackDown was extremely solid as usual. Raw looked like it might be a good show after the first half, but it completely fell apart in the latter 90 minutes. WWE going into Raw on Monday night advertised three matches a full seven days in advance, starting at the end of last week's show on Monday night. None of those three matches were contested on television. And on top of that, three different angles, including two that were in matches that were scheduled, Bobby Lashley and Sheamus, The Miz and John Morrison were completely dropped. And a third angle involving Charlotte Flair and Alexa Bliss was completely ignored on the show. So people who have been doing things on Raw weekly weren't even there. We saw no TBR... T-Bar and Mace. We saw no Ricochet, no Ali and uh, Mansoor. 
It was just the strangest episode of Raw that I can remember in a long time. That's how poor the creative and booking process is on Monday, where last week we got excited because they gave us no rematches and they booked three matches ahead of time for Monday night. And we said, hey, you know what? Maybe they figured something out here with Raw. Maybe they're realizing they can't just keep shoving the shit down our throats and expecting that we're going to enjoy it. And granted, this week, we didn't have rematches either. So two weeks in a row where I think we had a grand total of one or maybe two rematches across six hours, that's a huge improvement. And we have to give a shred of credit where it's due. But they tore up everything they had booked for this show and gave us this amalgamation of some good, but a lot of garbage, Chris. And I, I don't really know what I watched Monday night. Yeah. And well, first, let me reiterate the thanks to everybody for all the listens the last weeks. Adam keeps giving me the updates on the numbers and we're all we've been really excited to see those episodes go up. It is in is what what is a really exciting time for wrestling fans unless you're watching Raw, which it's it's interesting because like AEW will announce like the entire next week of matches on two shows the week before WWE barely announces any of them. And then they sometimes throw a couple out on social media like the day of the show. So for them to have announced three matches ahead of time was interesting. It meant like, oh, they they have some like plans here. It's not a week to week thing. And they were all and, unique, fresh matchups at that. Yeah. And and then and then we don't get it. And we don't know why. I don't know if there was people not traveling, couldn't travel or what. I haven't seen any dirt sheet stuff about any possible reasons for it, but Clearly, they were shorthanded a bit Maybe. Uh, on a roster uh, on a roster that has been cut down quite a bit over the last year, as, as we've talked about. So, you know, when Ross started off and they give us, you know, some of the things that are coming later in the show, I, I got I was interested. I'll say, hey, you know, this doesn't feel like maybe a consequential episode of Raw, but it could be a fresh episode. And it started off that way. And then it got really weird by the end. Yeah, I mean, I know for a fact Alexa Bliss was there, so there there made no sense why they didn't continue that storyline with Charlotte. Um, Maybe The Miz wasn't there, and if he wasn't, maybe there was a reason for that. So, okay, if you want to pull that one storyline and delay it, you know, circumstances happen, right? Like real life things happen. People get sick, they get hurt, things happen within families and in their personal lives. So it's okay if occasionally you promote a match or promote a storyline for a show and are not able to fulfill it because you have a large roster with a lot of people and shit can happen. But Bobby Lashley and Sheamus were both on that show. And that match was scheduled. Eva Marie and Dewdrop they scheduled the match. And granted, I don't really care that much. They did get in the ring, but they didn't ring the bell. So there were two at least that could have been handled out of the three on that show, and they just didn't do it. And for what reason, other than the whims of a madman, to quote Speed, uh, I just don't know. I don't give a damn what you people. That's the problem, Vince. That's the problem. And I'm not necessarily saying that Raw didn't give us anything good because the one match we did get was better than any match that was advertised for the show and probably was one of the top five Raw matches, I think, of the entire year. I mean, we're nearly nine, nine months into the year. We're eight full months into 2021, and we got a top five Raw match. 
So I'm not saying everything on the show was bad, but man, it is really difficult to watch on Monday nights. And two weeks from now, Chris, we have Monday night football. I mean, next week we have college football. Uh, The following week we have NFL Monday night football. And I mean, there's no way at this point that Raw is not getting relegated to my second television. It's There's just no way for that given the product that they're giving us on Monday nights. Friday, I'm going to watch SmackDown Live like I always do. But Raw, they are actively turning off their viewers. Yes. And like, I'll, I'll say this, I, I you know, what we got on Raw was not good, but it wasn't for lack of trying, you know, like there, there were a lot of problems, old problems, but it wasn't rematch city. Like we've always gotten. So at least they tried something different and that that's the best thing I think I can say about it, but there's still no direction. And even coming out of the episode, there's no real direction of what comes next. It felt like an episode out of time to buy. Yeah. To buy time, basically. Yeah. Like it it didn't, it didn't real. what happened prior didn't matter. What happens after didn't matter. It just kind of was, was an offshoot. Honestly, sometimes like, like, like a rampage we get or something like that. Like let's, let's look at it. Let's look at it. And we're going to break it all down momentarily, but Bobby Lashley has no clear number one contender for the WWE title. Damian Priest has no clear number one contender for the U S title. The tag team title does have challengers. The ones we just saw AJ Styles and Omos who just lost the title. Um, the 24-7 title is irrelevant, and the women's championship, it looks like there's a new number one contender, but it's a totally different person than the number one contender we were expecting last week. So the two two of the three biggest titles don't have contenders. We're a couple weeks weeks out from the pay-per-view. A couple weeks beyond that is Blood Money in the Sand 6, Crown Jewel. Obviously, we know what matches are getting built for that. It's just a cluster. It really is, man. Um, Yep. It's I don't even know other ways to put it. So let's not waste too much time talking about it in general. Let's get into the specifics. But of course, we're probably going to start talking about SmackDown because that is the A show in WWE right now as we slide into the main event. So two SmackDown topics, one raw topic, one very large and long raw topic here in this triple main event. And then we will, of course, move into the good, the bad, and the ugly, and talk about everything else that happened on SmackDown and Raw over the last week. So let's start off with SmackDown, of course, and the Roman Reigns family celebration. Uh, Paul Heyman was locked out of Reigns locker room when the Usos suggested he knew Brock Lesnar would be at SummerSlam. Heyman swore he did not, but they closed the door on him anyway. Reigns later walked up, making Heyman open the door before inviting him in. Heyman later tried to hand Reigns the universal title during his entrance, but Reigns declined to take it, saying, Heyman should hold it because he's part of the family and Reigns loves him. Heyman carefully watched Reigns during the entrance, like with a side eye. And I thought that was a really nice touch because he's too smart to be caught by surprise, given like Paul Heyman's entire history in professional wrestling. This was all an extremely well done, like entree into the main segment. It kept me interested throughout the entire show. Heyman, who's this king of manipulation throughout his entire career, is now being emotionally manipulated and abused by Reigns. And I just think it's all perfect. Yeah. I I mean, that was, that was the real story, you know, coming into this Roman Brock stuff is what does this mean for Paul Heyman? And you didn't really, is, was Roman going to be furious? Was he going to be at Paul's throat? Like the Usos were. And Roman just 
like he does with everything, just plays it cool. And Paul doesn't know what to think of it. That was so, so well done. And when Roman says you're part of the family, I love you. Like, I felt that, man. Like, <laughs> that was really, really well done. Also, the shirts, the Bloodline shirts are not bad. So I like that they have a shirt now, the three of them. Um, and so this was a really good setup. Yeah, I was just going to mention that those shirts are fire. They really are. Um, very mafia esque with yeah. uh, the championship and the and a bunch of cash on the table and the Usos holding the tag team titles. And so that's how, you know, Reigns and the Usos aren't losing those titles soon because that shirt is fire. And, uh, you know, it's looking really damn good. Uh, so they all get out to the ring and Heyman is out there filleting Reigns on the microphone. Uh, Finn Balor quickly interrupts and he reminds Reigns that he got screwed out of their match. He promised he would deal with John Cena later. So they're not closing the door on that, which is pretty yes. good. I'm happy. I was really glad that he mentioned that. He's done, that this, was... three, he's done this three times in a row where he's mentioned uh, Cena. So right. But now that Cena's gone, gone for for him to say that. To, agreed. It's just it's just it's like a little thing. Maybe they get back to it. And maybe they don't. Who knows what Cena's future is. But just acknowledge it because then it feels like it was worth us watching. Like, like, like right. just a little nod to be like, hey, you saw this happen. We recognize you saw it happen. We'll try to come back to it later. That that like it's a little thing that just really goes a long way. So I'm really glad they did that. And I do hope it's a match we get soon. But honestly, even if we got it like six months from now, right? Or at WrestleMania or something like that, it, it's if they keep the parts of the story together and they don't let us forget it as viewers or they come back to it in a short period of time, that's a good piece of booking that I'm going to respect and be really excited about. So I really loved all of that. So Balor also said uh, Edge wants the title. And Brock Lesnar's back, but he doesn't want to get screwed again. So he wants a title match next week on SmackDown. Balor took a swing at Reigns, but got beat down by the Usos. When the Street Profits made the save, Balor stared down Reigns and hit the coup de gras on one of the Usos. I missed who it was to end the show. So there's no Lesnar follow-up to SummerSlam, despite there being, I, I thought the expectation he would show up. That was a little bit disappointing. And WWE rushing this match onto TV Friday I just don't love that. Now, perhaps the booking is going to be a weapons-related disqualification, which WWE does all the time when Extreme Rules is coming up. A chair and a chair shot ends the match. Then it becomes a chair match at Extreme Rules. They do it, obviously, for TLC as well. And if that's what they do, I get it. But if Balor fights Reigns on SmackDown and loses, and then Edge, who's made it clear he wants to be a challenger, challenges at Extreme Rules, they'll be rushing two storyline matches just to get Lesnar into a spot for Blood Money in the Sand 6. Well, that's our assumption that we're going to get Reigns against Lesnar at that big show. Now, nothing about all of this is bad per se, but it's just a little bit confusing if they are doing it that way. I'm not going to cast any final opinions given we do need to see what happens in the title match next week. What happens with Edge? Is he actually still going for the title? And is he going to inject himself as a challenger right away? Maybe the Edge match is the match we get at Blood Money in the Sand. And they do uh, successfully push Lesnar off. But if so, why did Lesnar attack during SummerSlam? So, you know, soon to this event, maybe the Lesnar match is Survivor Series instead. That could potentially make sense. All I'll say is I was not as enthused as I have been in the past with this storyline at the end of SmackDown. 
Well, I wasn't enthused at the end of SmackDown because they didn't make it clear if it was going to happen. They they didn't they didn't actually announce it until like later that night or the next day on WWE.com. So if, if, if you weren't paying attention to that, you wouldn't have known. Uh, which again, you can, if you're going to do the match, just end the show by saying you're doing the match. There's no need to, I, I, anyway, but you know, it, it makes sense for Roman's character. He was more than willing to face Finn, you know, at SummerSlam last time he, he, he clearly did not want to accept Cena's challenge, but he did accept Finn's. So that tells us that he doesn't fear Finn. And so it like it, Roman agreeing to a match on a SmackDown Kind of makes sense, I, I I think. What it means for the future, I don't know. The the edge stuff also throws a you know I, I don't know into it. But with SmackDown and especially with the Roman stuff, I trust them to get it right. I, I trust them to resolve this in a way that is pleasing as a viewer. So I'm curious to see what'll happen if this was Raw. You know, if this, if this was Bobby Lashley versus Sheamus for the title going into Raw, I 100. You know, you kind of know how it's going to end. It's not really going to end uh, w- with a normal finish. But with SmackDown, with 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 everything else that's going on, I'm I'm interested. That's the crazy thing about SmackDown. Even with the Bianca Belair and Becky Lynch booking, right, that we didn't like at SummerSlam, I have a trust that on Friday nights they're largely going to get things right. And when it comes to the Roman Reigns storyline. In every single time over the last 12 months where you and I have given it a criticism, we said, you know what? Let's see. Maybe they'll get it right. They get it right in the end. It's wild. It, mm-hmm. And it's it's not only wild compared to the rest of the show. For example, the endless Biggie and Apollo Crews rematches that we got 16 times over the course of four months or whatever. Um, but to, especially when it compares to Raw, because Raw so often gets things wrong. That you can literally just wait four days and see a show that largely gets things right and always seems to get things right in the main event. And, you know, I have a, I have trust in SmackDown. It's weird. I have trust in NXT. I have trust in AEW. And I have trust in SmackDown. And I have absolutely zero trust in Raw. Yes. And specifically with Roman. So we... we specifically we with Roman. And Lesnar, you know, too. And, yeah, and Edge. Yeah. That these big names, they do a really good job treating them well on SmackDown. It's just not the same on the Red Show. It's not. Uh, let's stay with SmackDown. Let's talk about the women and the follow-up to the Becky Lynch-Bianca Belair fiasco from SummerSlam. So Lynch opened in the ring after a video package showing her return. She got cheers and said she's more dangerous than ever now because she's fighting for her family. The fans didn't know how to respond when she said, She wasn't sorry for taking down Bianca Belair because she had been preparing for that very opportunity. Belair said she won't make excuses, but she's pissed about SummerSlam and immediately challenged Becky for a rematch. The fans basically booed every time SummerSlam was mentioned, but cheered Bianca Belair and Becky Lynch individually, which was very strange. The dynamic was odd. Then, And, 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 and well, and for, I mean, Becky starts off by saying, you know, I'm back in Little Rock. That's a cheer. She that, that's says, a face we, pop. Yeah. We did it. She said she had several lines uh, that are that are face pops. So it wasn't like, you know, the, the reports of Becky turning full heel, at least at this point, were clearly not true. Well, I mean, I don't know, because she did operate on the heel side, that whole promo. So I just think it's more of a tweener role than it is a full heel, like we're kind of saying here. But 
it's odd. No, no matter what, it's odd. So then Zelina Vega comes out for no reason and immediately got you suck chance. And she said she deserves a title match. Why? She has zero <laughs> wins since returning. I have no idea. Uh, then Carmella called herself a 10. Thankfully, Liv Morgan came out, called Carmella and Zelina out for losing every week and saying they don't deserve shit. And then Mellis shot back at her because all she does is sit in catering. So all of that was very real. And I, I did appreciate that. Belair then challenged Becky a second time and Becky said, nah, and left. It felt odd because like we just said, fans wanted to cheer Becky who WWE clearly wants to either be a heel or be on the heel side. Tony Storm, who debuted like three or four weeks ago, but we haven't seen her since, was nope. absent. But that was a good decision because what immediately followed was 100% about Bianca Belair. And if Tony Storm was involved in that, she would have just gotten eaten alive and kind of wasted in the moment. So I did think, despite some oddities here, the setup for everything that followed, we'll talk about that in a second, was okay. It, it it's a weird setup. We I mean we eventually got to it, but I yeah I just I don't know what to make of Becky after that whole thing because you know y- you can be a tweener without just delivering those clear face pop lines like saying the name of the town and stuff like that. So it it was a little convoluted, but I think kind of got us to where we need to be. I just still don't know how we're supposed to feel about it. Yeah, it was a bit strange. I guess what, the reason why I was okay with it is coming out of the segment and coming out of what followed, the two people that looked the strongest were Bianca Belair and Liv Morgan. And those are the two people who need to look the strongest. Whereas Mella and Zelina got squashed a week ago and Zelina has been winless since her return. They're the low card right now on the SmackDown side. So they don't need to be you know, brought up in any significant way. So after the commercial break, they made a fatal four-way match uh, Belair versus Mella versus Zelina versus Morgan elimination style. So Mella and Zelina aligned, but turned on each other quickly. And Vega got eliminated after a KOD from Belair. Liv caught Mella off the ropes with her bouncing face buster for a pinfall. Uh, Liv then hit her a Karana on Belair and got some offense in. But Belair caught her trying to do the face buster finisher off the ropes again. Liv countered a vertical suplex with a code breaker, like style type of move. Uh, and she got a near fall on that. And the fans were all about it. They were cheering for Liv Morgan. They were also cheering mm-hmm. for Bianca Belair. Liv then tried to counter the KOD, but got thrown into the top turnbuckle and then hit with the KOD for the one, two, three. So obviously I was rooting for Liv in this match, but beating Belair after what happened at SummerSlam was not a plausible booking. We knew Bianca Belair was going to win that match. Michael Cole did a great job putting Liv over in the defeat. And that's important. But yes. Belair did need to win the match. For anyone who said Bianca Belair was buried at SummerSlam, hopefully you've now changed your tune. She got she looked dominant the Friday before SummerSlam and dominant the Friday after SummerSlam and is getting huge face cheers. This was solid, but in typical WWE fashion, they basically seem to rush what was a de facto number one contendership. And now they have to figure out a way to stretch this storyline between Belair and Becky Lynch for weeks. This also, I should know, Chris, took the first 35 minutes of the show. Yeah, and, and to your point, yeah, Bianca is fine. Uh, we said this on the SummerSlam post-show that this was not a Kofi Kingston situation. Um, frankly, what I think they were trying to do was to create a Dana Bryan situation 
you know, it, 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 to to kind of uh, kind of make their own version of someone loses a title right away at a main event and the fans rally around that person because I think they know that everybody loves Bianca and they will. And she'll the only problem was that with that is the fans already were rallied around her. Yes, I'm not saying it was a good decision. <laughs> you know? I'm not saying it was a good decision. I'm just saying that popped into my mind as maybe what they were trying to do. Because again, there's <laughs> I can't think of any other explanation for the decision making that they made at SummerSlam. There's no defending of it. So, yeah, we get what we expected to get. And, you know, over the next few weeks, we'll see how the promos go. Obviously, be- uh, Becky is, I think, much stronger and assertive on the mic than Sasha is. So we'll see how Bianca handles that um, in, in the coming weeks. So, um, yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's okay. It, it, it's they're right. It, it's they moved past the SummerSlam thing, and you have plenty of reason to root for and cheer and believe that they believe in Bianca, and and that's what they needed to do. Agreed. And I was just really hopeful with the way Liv Morgan was presented on that show. Her yes. promo was the best out of the other three women. She was featured at the end with Belair. And when she was featured at the end, they didn't rush to a finish. They allowed her to get a bunch of offense in. Michael Cole put her over on commentary in a significant way at the end of the match. This is what we're talking about. You got to start building up other women outside of the four horsewomen, Asuka, Bianca Belair, and Rhea Ripley. And credit to WWE because Ripley and Belair, Belair joined the roster just over a year ago, about 18 months ago. Ripley just joined the roster, you know, four or five months ago, and they're featured consistently. But what we're starting to see is a couple other women, Nikki Cross over on Raw, Liv Morgan over on SmackDown. They're starting to sneak through a little bit. You add in a Tony Storm, you add in maybe Dakota Kai gets called up like I desperately want her to be. Um, And all of a sudden, you have a little bit of a refreshed women's division across both shows. And when Bailey comes back, when Sasha Banks comes back, uh, they don't have to immediately go after the titles. You can do secondary storylines. You can put some of these women into tag teams. Shotzi and Knox is a great example. I hate their booking. It's absolute garbage, but they're winning. They've beat the champions three different times. It's a lot more than Tony Storm. Yeah, they're doing a lot more than Tony Storm is. So there are a lot of positives to talk about in this women's division. And I do have to say also, I, I think, and maybe I'll be proven wrong when we get into our good, bad, and ugly, but to the best of my knowledge, We had absolutely zero short women's matches and zero roll-ups and none of the garbage that I complain about every single week on this show. I think all three women's matches we got were decent length. Two of the three over the course of the week were good. One was absolute trash that we're going to talk about later. (laughs) Um, But Naomi got a a backstage storyline for her move to SmackDown. So... Like, they're actually seemingly booking the division relatively well, with the exception of this one disastrous thing that happened Monday night on Raw. So we'll get to all of that. But I just wanted to to kind of wrap that all up in a bow and kind of say, hey, look, the women's division is doing some different shit. And it's nice for a change. It really is. Yes. Let's move from SmackDown to Raw, the third part of this main event. And this is going to be a long one. So a double main event, which is what they called it, was set in the opening segment of Raw, despite the fact one of those matches came at 9 o'clock and the other one came at 10.40. That's not really a double main event, but nevertheless, two huge matches were set. So Damian Priest was promoted a few hours before Raw began to open the show with a U.S. Open challenge. So he starts in the ring. 
He takes a shot at Bobby Lashley for being a coward. Then he issues the challenge. Sheamus answers and my eyes roll into the back of my head because I'm like, this guy was just in this feud. They fought each other 10 times and he was supposed to fight Bobby Lashley on the show. But moments later, Drew McIntyre answers. Then Lashley and MVP come out. They get interrupted by Goldberg Chance, which MVP shut down. MVP then said Lashley wants to be a double champion. Then RK Bro enters, again, for, kind of for no reason, and they get huge chants and cheers from the crowd. Orton called Lashley a greedy son of a bitch, and Riddle just basically offered to defend the tag team titles against Lashley and, and MVP if they wanted. Adam Pierce and Sonya Deville then came out. So all these people, there's like nine people out here, um, and the authority figures set two title matches for the show, a triple threat and a tag team title match. Then with seven dudes all at ringside, Rhea Ripley makes her entrance for a singles match that we'll discuss later. This was, Chris, as convoluted an opening as we've seen WWE do in a while. But it was different. And I saw some people absolutely hated this. But this part of the whole thing, I found entertaining. We got a bunch of big names entering, interacting with each other. And then we got some funny moments, thanks to Riddle. The strange part was WWE ignoring that it had promoted Lashley versus Sheamus for an entire week. But the two matches they set were new matches. I just wish that we had fresher faces competing in them. But I did think it was a unique start to the show, and I didn't really have a problem with it while I saw a lot of other people really shitting on this. Uh, what were they shitting on it for? They thought it was convoluted, confusing. Um, they didn't think the promos were good, that type of stuff. I, I really like this. I, I thought this brought a lot of energy and interest. Like for Bobby Lashley to say, hey, I'm the I'm the WWE champ, but I'd love to have another belt. So I'm going to come get your tag team belts. Like that's the kind this is the kind of interaction I always begging for out of WWE where people are just people and random people get together. Someone decides they want someone else's belt and then you just kind of you go with it. So these were fresh matchups it different people talking to each other that we hadn't seen before and it didn't feel so formulaic like we all almost always get typically one person comes out another person comes out triple thread boom you're done but to add multiple belts multiple matches and then Rhea coming in at the end just on top of all of it i really really like this this opening and that's why i said it got me pretty excited for the show even though it wasn't quite what we were supposed to get before it told me, hey, these this is different. This is this is new kind of stuff. And I want to see where this goes. I actually wish when Rhea came out, they showed her walking down past all the guys. Yeah. And into the ring and all the guys looking at her like impressed. You know, that's yeah. just a way that you can kind of, you know, show that this person's respected beyond the women's division. Right. I wish they had done that, but they didn't. But yeah, I just I thought the interactions were all cool. It seemed like everyone got bullet points and not scripted promos because people were flubbing lines and kind of talking naturally. Priest in particular seemed to talk really naturally on the mic to open the show. So I liked it. I thought it was a really good opening to Raw. And in fact, everything that came out of this over the rest of the show, I thought was good to very good. And it was the rest of the show beyond this. Not and anything that did not involve right. Damian Priest, Drew McIntyre, Sheamus, Bobby Lashley, MVP, and RK Bro. Everything besides that, for the most part, was shit. But this, this one long, you know, weaving story that we got throughout the entire program, I thought was really solid. 
Yes. Also, I liked starting off with Damian Priest. Um, Me too. That yes. was different. He they put him in that spot, really for the first time, I think, to to see how to start he the show. It. Yes, that was the first. Time. Yeah. yeah, and I think he handled it pretty well. He looks like a star, and what happens on later in the show, we'll get to. But that was the first sign that okay, they're going. They're, they they want to take this guy to the moon. It's somebody different. It's somebody newish, and that that itself is exciting. Damian Priest is like twenty one and zero in singles triple threat and tag team matches in on the main roster it's insane he hasn't lost they should, his they should loss, talk about that his only losses have been in the royal rumble a battle royal that was on raw and a two on one handicap match against miz and morrison they should talk about that i know it's crazy whoever who, whoever works for wwe and i think sometimes listens to the show do that mention that damian priest is undefeated next time it's on it's honestly ridiculous that they that they don't mention it but it's impressive uh before we move on to the two matches really quick so uh, they did a segment where Goldberg got caught TMZ style with a camera and he claimed he wanted revenge on Lashley, but not the WWE championship. And I actually thought, Chris, this was a good promo. It was done in a parking lot as he was right about to get into a truck. We knew that they would run this rematch back at Blood Money in the Sand 6. But what did I say on the show last week? I was concerned that when they ran it back, considering Goldberg was looking for vengeance for his son, they'd have no choice but to give him the title. And it seems like they're booking the rematch without the title on the line, which if they do that, again, it's not good. I don't really want to see it again. I don't want to see Goldberg beat the WWE champion, but it at least solves 50% of that issue. The only question I have is if Goldberg does beat Bobby Lashley in a non-title revenge match, how the hell is he not the number one contender? Well, he w- he wouldn't be the number one, he, he would be a number one contender if he wants it. You know, you could just maybe he doesn't want it. Did didn't Goldberg say? I don't, I don't think this was on the show, but he said he had like two matches left or something like that, or two or three matches left going into SummerSlam. Like, if what we get out of this is Goldberg wins, but he's not the champion. I'm fine with Blood Money in the Sand not being canon, essentially. I, I prefer that. I don't like them when we have title changes over there or stuff that matters over there. I don't even like having a lot of build to the matches there. Like Agreed. The I wish there was stuff. no build, actually. I, yeah, you can do a couple hinter that. Like, you got you want it. I get, I mean, I hate the whole concept of it, but I understand WWE wanting to promote it and wanting people to watch it. But, you know... If you just kind of reference it a little bit, but don't take it too seriously, and it's not exactly canon, then I can live with Goldberg winning that match and and and, and moving on from there if that's what we get. And so th- this got me maybe a little more encouraged for that. The best way for WWE to book those shows, I know this is going to be a little bit of a tangent, but the best way to book those shows is if you're bringing Legends back and you want them on Raw and SmackDown, that's okay. Because you're going to do that and... I get it. Okay. Um, So you can do those two, one storyline on each show that is Saudi Arabia related. Okay. Every other match on that show should be like amalgamations of other feuds that are going on that help progress them to the next pay-per-view. So for example, if you have a WWE championship and a United States championship feud happening on Raw, then the two champions tag or the two faces tag against the two heels. And you just put that match on the show. You don't announce it. You don't build to it. That is how you book that show. You do two storylines, one on each program, and everything else is just kind of 
something that works, but isn't necessary that if the TV audience misses it, they're not out of the loop. For example, yes. the matches that they gave at that um, that rap concert in Miami. Yes. They gave like a rematch, Bianca Belair against Carmella, I think it was. And they gave Otis or Chad Gable, I'm, I'm really forgetting, against Angelo Dawkins, right? Matches like that, or maybe it's a tag team match between those two tag teams. You just put those on the show and you don't worry about booking that card like it's a pay-per-view. Book it like it's a special house show event. Yes, exactly. That's how I would do it. So, okay, got off on a tangent. But yes, I do agree with you that if the title is not on the line, I am willing to suspend my brain and allow Goldberg to beat Lashley and not be bothered by it. I still won't like it, but it won't necessarily bother me. You know what I'm saying? So I think... I think I can do that. I think I can give them that leeway as long as the title's not on the line. All right, let's move on to the rest of Raw uh, in this main event segment. We had the United States Championship on the line. It was Damian Priest defending the title against Drew McIntyre and Sheamus. So this crossed the 9 p.m. hour. McIntyre accidentally broke a piece of his sword on the ground backstage. Uh, Priest kicked out of a Mishinoku driver. Drew is in the tree of woe as Sheamus was set to superplex Priest. But he quickly set up and German suplex Sheamus off the rope simultaneously. Priest broke a clover leaf with a choke slam after Ma- Sheamus hit McIntyre with an Alabama slam. Sheamus then broke up the reckoning with a brogue kick. McIntyre got him with the future shock DDT, but Sheamus countered a claymore with a pump knee and hit an avalanche white noise as Priest finally broke the fall. Sheamus countered the reckoning, but McIntyre hit him with a claymore. Priest then ate a Glasgow kiss and reversed a suplex into the reckoning for the clean 1-2-3 win over Drew McIntyre, and they both shook hands afterwards. This match was an absolute banger. Big meaty man slapping me. <laughs> I mean, this is the type of match where you don't worry about the beef. Don't worry about the shirt. Worry about the meat inside the shirt. I guess I messed that up, but you got what I was saying. It's not <laughs> about the water. It's not about the bread. All we wanted and all we got in this thing was meat. He don't want no water. He don't want no bread. All he wants is meat. Look, credit to McIntyre and credit to WWE for putting Priest over like that when Sheamus was in that match and was the easy out. In a triple threat, You always, the loser is always the guy who's the most obvious. They didn't do it that way. That subverted our expectations, which is always great in wrestling. This is the type of match we need on TV more often. But I have to say, if this is the match they had booked for the Extreme Rules pay-per-view, it would have been an absolutely perfect pay-per-view match. This was a pay-per-view match on television. It should have been the main event of the show. I went with four stars and an A-, minus. but man, I was just so happy the whole time watching this match. Yes, I I give it four stars as well. And and, and a big reason is the finish because you always kind of had in the back so of your mind good. oh yeah Sheamus is going to be the guy to take the fall probably and you're, you're kind of waiting oh they won't put Damian Priest that over and then they did they, they let him open the show and then they let him pin Drew Drew give him the you know tip of the cap yeah the rub that 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 is that is the, the surest sign of like, hey, this guy matters to us. This guy should matter to you. We're going to go again to the moon with this guy. So 
that was really exciting to see because it's somebody new that will be in front of us a lot like Drew was over the past year. Um, just uh, the type of thing we want to see from WWE so much more often. And so when they do pull the trigger on that and signal to you, hey, we're making stars. We want this guy to be a star. You know, it works. And there's not a backlash like a Roman Reigns thing because of because of other stuff. Like the people are really behind Damian Priest here. And I think I think this is going to work. I'm convinced that Damian Priest is getting the push that was probably planned for Keith Lee. And I think he's that really been from it. Could be. I do. Also, I wanted to say with the way McIntyre has been losing recently, which he's lost a lot, I have to believe he winds up on SmackDown when this draft happens. Do you have the same feeling? Wait, I'm sorry. Who was that? McIntyre. I hope so. Uh, I, I mean, I hope I'll, I, I hope the whole main event scene gets shaken up. I, I mean, Seth, Edge, Drew. KO. We, we got to move a lot of these guys over. Yeah, KO. Um, move well, not, move, I mean, move some, replace KO. others, which creates fresh matchups across both shows. Yeah, actually, I, I wouldn't. I mean, I don't want KO to move because I like him on SmackDown and but I want to see more of him in general. So if that means more time for him, then... See, I think if you move KO over to Raw, there's a chance he actually can win the title again. On SmackDown, he's not going to. I don't think I don't think Vince would put Kevin Owens over Bobby Lashley for the title, but I think he could put Bobby Lashley and Kevin Owens in a pay-per-view main event. Oh, yeah. I mean, he did it, with, he did it three yeah. times with Reigns. Like, you could easily right, do it with Right, right. So, no question. Uh, yeah, maybe. All right, so uh, we'll finish up this long storyline segment, whatever you want to call it, from Raw. The tag team titles were on the line in the main event. RK Bro against Lashley and MVP. Riddle annoyed Orton backstage a little bit. Uh, Riddle then took out the challengers with a springboard floating bro outside. Orton hit a power slam on MVP and a draping DDT on Lashley. He stupidly tried to RKO the illegal man in Lashley. I don't know why they did that when MVP caught him. Uh, Riddle got a ton of offense on Lashley, including a floating bro, but MVP stomped his foot to break the fall. Orton ran Lashley into the post and dealt with Styles and Omos outside. They were on commentary uh, as Riddle beat MVP with the floating bro for one of the two biggest pops of the night. Lashley then speared Riddle after the bell, but Orton caught him with an RKO out of nowhere to end Raw with a second major pop of the night. It was a really hot finish to what I thought was one of the strangest Raw episodes of the entire year. The opening segment, the start of the 9 p.m. hour, and the main event is are the segments that this longer storyline got. Those three worked and individually got the crowd riled up, but it felt like coming out of Raw, no storyline advanced with any of the people involved in this. And right. that to me was a little bit frustrating. Yes. Uh, first off, props to Bobby Lashley for a great sell of the RKO. Just, just, Face planted and stayed there on his face. <laughs> he didn't like bounce over onto his back or anything. Just planted. <laughs> it was really, really well done. Second of all, commentary kind of pointed this out, but um, you were kind of waiting for potential interference, uh, a DQ interference, because they put some hands on him. Uh, I, I think Omas put some hands on uh, Randy, it might have been. Um, that was a little bit weird. But yeah, that was my... Reaction at the end of the show, too. I think Lashley was on the ramp or something like that. And I'm like, wait a minute. Nothing moved forward here. That's where, that's where I first got that feeling of like, oh, like kind of a lot of stuff happened, but 
almost none of it carries forward. So I don't know what this really matters, but I enjoyed that they did this for this night. And so that's where it kind of felt like out of time where it wasn't really relevant to anything going on. But that's okay. I, I think you can do stuff like that, you know, from time to time if we trust your storytelling. Like AEW has so many just random matches that don't mean anything. They so really many. don't do yeah. the they don't do the rematch stuff. But what they are selling to you is the match, not what it says about a story. What AEW so you, does is they'll they'll book a random match that has no storyline relevance. But the matchup is interesting enough to get you to watch the show. And then they yeah. continue the storyline after the match, almost always with a post-match attack, yes, a heel attacking yes. a face. Yes, and that's the kind of thing I feel like WWE could do more if they just trusted their viewers to be interested in the wrestling. And I but think that's, if you... Yeah, that's the problem. If, if, if you do stuff like the, like the tag match there, like the triple threat for the US title, and be like, hey, we're going to have just fresh, fun matchups all the time that you're going to like. And we'll, you know, have a story going on around that. I think people would tune into that. It, it, it's just we got so beaten over the head, especially during the Thunderdome era of just people can only interact with the people they're feuding with. That's the only people they ever talk to. And we're just going to repeat this every single week until the pay-per-view. That, I, I think, is not keeping people or bringing people in. But if you continue to do stuff like Monday matches, maybe you add some more storyline booking into it. I, I think that's a good formula. So like, that's why, you know, these, these two matches that we got out of the, the opening segment were a lot of fun and, but, and surprising for WWE. But that's what you said is exactly the problem. Like WWE doesn't build its stars strong enough, nor does it build their wrestling ability long enough. So, no. you know, whereas with AEW, for example, uh, John Moxley versus Daniel Garcia is not a, that's not a tune in match really for me. No. Right. But no. if I'm a John Moxley fan and I, and many people are huge John Moxley fans because I mean, of course they were fans of his when he was Dean Ambrose in WWE, but they really liked the John Moxley character. Like, Oh, Mox is in action. I'm going to make sure to tune in. I don't want to miss that. And then they pay you off with the storyline post-match. Whereas if WWE promoted, let's say Randy Orton versus Xavier Woods, Right. They don't people love Randy Orton, but they're not necessarily going to tune in just to see him wrestle. They'll tune in because they like Randy Orton. People want to see John Moxley wrestle over an AEW. And that, I think, is the stark difference. And I picked someone like Randy Orton. What I really should have done is said someone like Drew McIntyre or Damian Priest, mm -hmm. all those guys. Damian Priest in action uh, in a scheduled match against Eric of the Viking Raiders. Uh, the equivalent of that match is something that would happen in AEW. And people would say, oh, man, that's going to be a banger. I can't wait to watch those guys get 15 minutes and tear the house down. On Raw, if you got right. Damian Priest against Eric of the Viking Raiders, chances are it's a seven-minute match. And in many cases, it's shorter. It's the, and oftentimes, yeah. it ends in disqualification. Yes. And, that, and, and that's, where, that's, that's where you're just... Right. And that's, that's setting the expectations for your fans. And we don't expect that from WWE now. And, and they don't plan to give it to us. And so you've kind of conditioned your viewers to expect certain things and you know i think you know the kinds of things you did monday gives you the opportunity to, con to condition them for other things and yes with the, with the trend of the ratings with monday night football coming up like why not and and by the way what they did monday they successfully booked both of these matches we just talked about priest sheamus and mcintyre 
ended clean with the champion going over. The Raw Tag Team Championship ended clean with the champion going over. There was no interference in a significant way in either of them. There was none at all in the triple threat. There was no, you know, fake disqualifications or attacks uh, behind the referee's back or anything like that. We got two quality matches. And if they had promoted, and right now there's nothing promoted for next week, but if they had promoted two quality matches for next week and they deliver on them as quality matches, now you start conditioning your audience to know, hey, when I tune in, I'm going to get good wrestling. It's exactly what NXT has been. NXT books a match. And they say, we're going to give this to you next week. And they give you 15 to 20 minutes of an absolute banger. It tells you, I can trust NXT to, to, to tune in and I'm going to get that match that I was promised. Again, given, you know, someone doesn't get cleared or, you know, some, something strange happens. Um, and I think that is the stark difference between what we get from the main roster, but particularly Raw, compared to SmackDown, but even more so AEW and NXT. And it's just blatantly different between those shows. Okay, enough of all of that. Let's move on to the good, the bad, and the ugly. So we should be able to run through most of these relatively quickly. Let's start with something that didn't even happen uh, in a ring. WWE posted a social media video uh, on Friday, earlier Friday, with Kevin Owens looking really depressed that he had nothing to do on SmackDown. He asked Michael Cole how Pat McAfee was doing with his COVID-19 diagnosis, by the way, best wishes to Pat on a full recovery from that. And he said to Cole that Corey Graves being on commentary was a step down. So Cole just offered him the chance to join them in the booth for the entire show. And it was a funny little video because KO was like, really, you mean it? Like a child and got really excited. He said he had to grab a tie. He grabbed the tie. And then on SmackDown itself, KO was awesome on commentary throughout the entire show. So this is an easy move for him one day when he does eventually retire from the ring. He would be great in the color commentary role. And simply put, this was a good decision. And it was great to see him on SmackDown for the entire program. Yep. Much like... uh when Daniel Bryan did some commentary, when CM Punk did some commentary, when Jericho does commentary for the most part. I need when he's not screaming. They, yeah. Yes, they work so hard to get the talent over because they have been in that position. And 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 it just it goes a long way and you can you can sense that and you got the sense from Kevin Owens doing that as well and it was a nice change of pace and also we hope Pat McAfee um, is doing well. Yeah, I'm assuming he won't be there this week, but hopefully the week after he's back. That would be awesome. Uh, Edge backstage on SmackDown said beating Seth Rollins at SummerSlam was satisfying, but having to go to a dark place like he did affected him deep down inside. Then he sets all of his sights past Rollins back to the Universal title. Rollins in a taped promo congratulated Edge, saying they had a match of the year in a loss that taught him a lot about himself. He said Edge won his respect and admiration, making him realize he needs to be more like Edge if he wants to fight his way back to the Universal Championship. I really appreciated the simplicity of both of these promos, plus the fact that it doesn't seem, and maybe I'm wrong, but it doesn't seem like Edge Rollins is going to happen again at Extreme Rules like we expected. The truth is that both guys probably need to be on Raw, given SmackDown's loaded roster, at least Edge does for star power. But this was a solid way to follow up on the match and seemingly set new courses for both men. What those courses are, we're not going to know until this Friday, but this entire thing was good. 
yeah, the, the the Rollins one especially, like to have a heel like admit defeat but also move on is a really tough thing to pull off. And Seth nailed it by kind of being a little like crazy. That 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 was that is one of the best promos I've seen from him in in a long time. You know, no, the the, the, the Messiah stuff was hit and miss. You know, the stuff since has been he's kind of not been defined exactly, but he did a really, really good job on this kind of changing his moods, his tones and coming off as like happy about things. And I'm interested to see where it goes next uh, for both of these guys. Like we already talked about Edge. I I, I don't know. I I don't know what's coming next with that. Um, But I'm also as curious to see where Seth ends up because he rightfully had a case to be number one contender, <laughs> number one contender over edge, which they built that whole storyline. So we'll, we'll see. This was really, really good. That was a good one. Yeah. We had uh, Baron Corbin getting happy on SmackDown. So Corbin rode in a Bentley and explained that his luck turned around. If you follow it on Twitter, he went bankrupt in Las Vegas, won money, lost it again, and then won right before he left. WWE showed it all in a video package and then literally introduced him as Happy Corbin, which he said he wanted to be his new name. And I just rolled my eyes completely at that. He was clean shaven and bragged about his expensive clothes. Then he called out Big E and offered to buy the Money in the Bank contract for $20,000, then $50,000, and then $100,000. Big E said hell no, and he popped the crowd by calling out the Arkansas Razorbacks. They were in Little Rock. Uh, Corbin said Big E would just lose whenever he cashes it in, just like Corbin did. And Big E basically threatened him out of the ring. Now, judging the segment on its own merits, Corbin worked the crowd really well, and Big E got it fully behind him with a great babyface promo. Fans ate this up. In storyline terms, I think that WWE pulled the trigger a little too quickly on Corbin finding financial success. But credit to them for incorporating Las Vegas into the entire thing and doing a lot of stuff outside the ring. They used to do this all the time with Ted DiBiase and Mr. Perfect and the APA a little bit more recently um, and other plenty of other people too. Those are just the ones that came off the top of my head. But that all helps build a character and it tell, helps tell a story that's not all confined in the arena where you're holding the show. Also, the name Happy Corbin it's fucking absurd. And it's along the lines of Shorty G and Dewdrop. There's also no reason for this feud to happen, considering Biggie won clean at SummerSlam and already has the briefcase back. I'm still going to lean good here because Corbin is refreshed, but I was on the line. I just wish he was destitute a little bit longer. And I hope that they go back to him being broke because I feel like there's a lot more they can do with that than this, than him just being a rich guy now named Happy Corbin. Like how many names is Corbin going to have in his WWE career? It is starting to wear on me a little bit. I mean, I'll I'll wait to see on the name thing. I'll, I'll give it another week to figure out that. But this was a good, I, I, I really like this. I don't know how it started. I don't know if they planned the Vegas thing the whole time or if they just like kind of saw saw it kind of starting to gain some attention and went all in on it. Cause I think McAfee had like tweeted a, f- 
photo he said a friend sent him of Corbin just like at the blackjack table or something like that, just sitting there looking, you know, destitute, like you said. And then he posted some stuff on social media like, oh, I made like a hundred bucks or something like that. And he kind of was building and building. I don't know if he was actually made a little bit of money and they decided to change the character or if this was the plan all along or what. But if you if you saw that, you saw it kind of building. So it made sense to get up to this point. And Corbin was great in that whole bit about all the money he made. His wife came back to him, you know, all, all this kind of stuff. It, it was a, you know, my thoughts on him being poor. We had laid it out. I thought he had actually done a really good job of being sympathetic at one point. Um, it looked like they were going it, in that direction. It, it looked like a face turn. Didn't turn into a face turn. They at least made him a heel again by him asking for $100,000. But then you get to this point. And Corbin does a great job. I like the hat he was wearing, the outfit, everything. It worked. He told the story really well. And then when he offers the money to Big E, I wanted that to drag out. Like, have him offer $500,000 up front. And Big E's, like, really thinking about it. And say, like, next week or later in the show, Big E will have an answer. Like, I, like, I think like that was a really interesting idea that they just it just came and went within a couple of minutes in the segment. And I feel like that was something they could have, again, just kind of drawn out and have Biggie like think about it. Well, hey, and, 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 I mean, who knows? Let's be fair. Next week, he could say, look, you know, I offered you 100,000, whatever. What if we go to 250 and I guarantee you a title opportunity as soon as I win the championship. Yeah. You're the first maybe. challenge. I, and maybe if he keeps coming back to him with more offers and yeah, for sure. But I, I, I think there was, I think there was some drama you could have built up with Biggie, like thinking about it. And, 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 and I like that they mentioned that Corbin lost his cash in again, shout out when they referenced yeah. things that happened in the past. That was that right. Was and, nice. and, and him laughing at Biggie, dude, whenever you cash it in, you're going to lose. Cause it happened to me. It's like, well, no Corbin, yes. most people win. It's like 75% <laughs> win, you know? So, Right, but it makes sense for Corbin to say that. So, so right. I, I, I like. I don't know what this means moving forward. I, if it's a whole on feud, who, who knows? It wasn't really clear. But I really like this. I, I'm, I'm certainly giving it a good. One thing I, and this is just fantasy booking, like it's booking the damn territory. But don't you feel like it would have been cool if they called Cameron Grimes up and he started tagging with Corbin and they created an interesting team? Maybe they even tell the storyline that Grimes financed. Corbin's comeback only to have Corbin turn heel on him later. You know, once he has money again, I feel like that was the perfect like combination Corbin and Grimes to wait, 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 go ahead. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. No, you finish. You finish. No, that's it. Just two guys who are doing a similar rich person gimmick. Their gimmicks are about money. One was destitute. One has found his riches again and his confidence again. I just feel like that could have worked if they intermingled them. Well, you know who it, you know, it, it, I don't hate that idea, but of the, you know who it should have been. It, it, if we're talking about them both being heels, it should have been your boy, LA Knight. Or LA Knight. That, that would be an option too. Yeah. I, I, honestly, I think that, I think that would have worked. I mean, for those who don't listen to NXT, they, LA Knight, basically we, you had two rich characters. One of them had to be the other one's Butler million dollar man came and it was involved for a month. Or that was so. a good storyline. Really yeah. It was a really good storyline. And, um, they could, have worked Corbin. They, they could have worked LA it Knight too, Cor yeah. by the yeah. way. I'm LA so Knight and Corbin is not a bad, LA Knight and Corbin is not a bad team. Either of them. Know. They could have worked it too, because don't forget, Corbin showed up on Raw a few weeks ago because he just wanted to get paid. He could have showed up on NXT just looking to get paid. Like they could have yeah. continued that into NXT. That starts the interaction, whether it's Grimes or Knight, and they could have played it forward there. But alas, they didn't. But it just, 
I kept thinking of that when I was watching the segment on Friday. Like, man, it would be cool if like Cameron Grimes uh, was involved or to your point, obviously, LA Knight. Okay, let's keep going here. We had Rhea Ripley against Shayna Baszler in a singles match on Raw. Nikki Ash and Nia Jax were at ringside. Jax promised to splatter Ripley, Nikki, and Charlotte Flair later in the show before the night was out. Ripley got a near fall on a Northern Light suplex. Nikki helped motivate Ripley during the match only to get attacked by Jax and Samoan dropped outside. Baszler caught Ripley in a unique pinning combination, but Rhea was able to roll her over, lock her ankles together for the one, two, three. Jax then attacked and Samoan dropped Ripley after the match. Now, I'd have loved to have seen Baszler get a win here for once, but other than that, this got time, it featured solid wrestling, and it ended clean with storyline implications and Jax fulfilling her promise. Granted, this is all a very low bar to clear, but I actually, for this part of it, I did go with good. Yeah, and I I, kind of like the story they've been telling with Rhea Ripley and Nikki Ash kind of becoming friends. It's a lot like RK-Bro, frankly, but it's a good formula. So yeah, this was this was fine. It was good. Now, the second part of this was Charlotte Flair against Nia Jax in a non-title match that was not called a championship contenders match, by the way. <laughs> so let's just throw all that out there, okay? Um, and, and this is after we thought they went away from those only to have one the week after I said that they thought they went, I thought they went away from them. Anyway, before the match, Nia again promised to splatter Charlotte, saying she'd shove her invisible crown up her behind. It was 10 o'clock at night. You can say the word ass, okay? It's 10 p.m. Um, this match was slow and boring. The crowd, by the way, was shitty the entire night, but especially yes. during both women's matches. Now, it eventually had a reason to hate this women's match, but even the beginning of the match, it had no energy whatsoever. So Jax blocks Charlotte's moonsault with a knee and hits a Samoan drop. There was then a stretch of like four straight awful botches that lasted over one to two minutes, including Jax nearly breaking Charlotte's neck on a backdrop where she didn't let her fall naturally. It was honestly uncomfortable to watch and it looked like there was real heat and sandbagging after that. <laughs> yes. Flair yes, worked Jax's knee and shook her ass in her face. Jax then threw Charlotte headfirst into the middle turnbuckle and hit the Chingoa bomb that she stole from Raquel Gonzalez, but keeps using to beat the damn champion in a heel versus heel non-title match on TV. This was fucking horrendous. Jack's getting a huge push out of nowhere makes absolutely zero sense. Beating the fucking champion clean like that makes zero sense. The match itself was absolutely terrible and beyond being terrible, it was dangerous. Maybe the worst match of 2021. Now Nia presumably is going to get a title match in a rematch against Flair that we have no desire to see. These two have never worked well together. They have negative chemistry. This was pathetic. We saw Alexa Bliss step up last week. She wasn't even on the show, even though she was in Oklahoma City. Now, maybe there's a reason, but there was no excuse whatsoever for this hot garbage. This was not ugly. It was U-G-L-Y, you ain't got no alibi, ugly. This was 0.0. 0. 0. 0. 0.0. 
Yeah, the part that stuck out to me was they kind of start shoving each other. And then Nia just slapped Charlotte around a couple of times <laughs> in, in what looked like shoot slaps. She basically gave uh, her the punch she gave to Becky Lynch, except she didn't connect. Yeah, this is like a one, two, three, boom. <laughs> like out of it was it was not good. I don't know what the point of it was. Nia Jax works in certain spots. You have been critical of her for a while because of there are many assists where she works unsafe and it's exactly what we got out of this maybe it's because she had to do two matches and that's a lot to ask of anybody yeah this was i mean certainly this was ugly and i'd love to know the backstory as to kind of what went on in the ring and what was said afterward and and all that because uh yikes well i can tell you um according to mike johnson of PW Insider, uh, he was told by several sources that what happened on Raw is exactly what it appeared to be, a match that went awry and led to some legitimate moments where real slaps and punches were lobbed after there was some sort of breakdown in communication. By the way, I'm quoting him here, so that's why I'm reading it like this. Uh, briefly, there was a legitimate confrontation inside the ring. By the end of the match, Jackson and Flair were back on the same page and the finish went as originally booked and there was no heat backstage afterwards. So... I mean, you could have fooled me that there was no heat, right? Um, I think on this podcast for a long time, probably for the first year that it existed, we gave Nia Jax a lot of shit. And then when she started teaming with Shayna Baszler and her ring time got reduced and she started showing personality when they matched her up with Reggie, I think we started giving her a little bit of credit for improving. And we said, hey, you know what? Mm -hmm. Nia's not as bad as she used to be. She's working safer. There haven't been any issues. She's cutting better promos. She's more entertaining. All of that got thrown out the window Monday night. It was like they reversed course two years or 18 months with Nia Jax. And she was back to that dangerous wrestler who is throwing Kyrie Sane headfirst into steel steps and, and headfirst um, off her shoulders into a turnbuckle, the bottom turnbuckle in the middle of the ring. This is unacceptable. This is not a worker that you can have in your company. She's going to injure people, seriously. And if she can't be professional and go through a match with the number one woman in the company, now I don't mean that she's the number one woman, like I like her the most or she's the most popular, but WWE clearly see Charlotte Flair as the number one woman. If you can't do your job in a match like this, you do not need to be on television. Nia Jax proves time and time again, she should still be in developmental that she was called up too quickly. This is ridiculous. Again, we gave her a lot of leash on this show and a lot of credit for what seemed to be her improving when she teamed with Baszler. Again, this got thrown out the window Monday. It was pathetic and I hated it. Um, I told you why I hated it. it. It was the worst moment on Raw, the worst moment on WWE TV this week, the worst moment on television across any of the four major shows this week. And I have zero idea how they recover from it next week. Go back to Alexa Bliss again. <laughs> Pretend ignore it. Just I, completely ignore it. I don't know. I don't know. I don't. Maybe, maybe Alexa Bliss can cost Nia a title match, and Nia can feud with Bliss, and Flair can take a month off or something. I, I, I don't even know. I don't know what you do here. I, we, we kind of ignore the whole part here, but pinning Charlotte Flair. Idiotic. Totally idiotic. Yes. 
terrible decision after, again, her whole character is that she is the best and nobody can touch her. And she won the title and then got snuck attacked, cashed in, but she worked her way back up, won the title again, and now we're pinning her again. What, like, what are you doing? What, like... And by the way, I just... It, 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 goes, back, it goes back to, again, the trope of you, you pin the women's champion, you pin the tag team champions, you're the number one contender. What, That's what they always fall back on. Which credits to WWE, they've moved away from recently. Like, even when Xavier Woods beat Bobby Lashley, they didn't give him a title match. They never... Yeah. Xavier Woods never got a shot at the championship. So they've, they've stopped doing it as often, which is good. But here, it's clearly what the booking is. She beat her, so she's going to get a title match. And you're like, how many times is Charlotte Flair going to lose? Like, I'm okay with her losing when she's not champion. But now that she's champion, she shouldn't be losing like this. She, she should be going months and months without losing. And then when someone beats her for the title, it's a big freaking deal. Yeah, if she's you want Charlotte to lose. Twice in two months. If you want Charlotte to lose and set up a title match, have her lose as part of a tag team match where she either doesn't take the fall or she does, but it's not clean one-on-one type of situation, right? But again, mm-hmm. she also lost to a heel and she's a heel. So none of this, 0.0 of this made sense. It was absolute, complete bull crap. Yeah, I, Total shit. And by the way, where the fuck is Asuka? On top of all of this, where is Asuka? Um, and and, and that one more thing, and then I'll move on. I already said it, but I loathe, truly loathe, that Raquel Gonzalez develops a new finisher, the single arm choke bomb. It's called the Chingoa bomb. That's what she calls it over on NXT. And like two months after she debuts this move, Nia Jax starts using it as her finisher on Raw. That is just so pathetic and insulting. I hate. I hated this entire thing. Let's move on. We got more to talk about. Hopefully, we go through the rest of these relatively quickly. Uh, Cesaro fought Chad Gable in a singles match on SmackDown. Gable hit a Northern Light suplex and a perfect moonsault for a near fall. Cesaro got a top rope hurricanrana and was doing the swing when Otis ran in to force the DQ. Alpha Academy did a lariat German suplex and Otis hit a splash. Now, the idea of all of this was perfectly fine, but we got a two-minute match, which is absolutely absurd. Why can't we let two of the best wrestlers in the entire company get eight to 12 minutes on television? This is exactly, Chris, what we were talking about earlier, where, like I said, you book John Moxley and Daniel Garcia. It's not necessarily a a great match that you're expecting to, you know, tear the house down or anything like that, but people like the people involved and they're going to tune in to see it and they deliver AEW does with them getting 10, 12, 15 minutes. That's what this should have been. It got two minutes with a DQ finish. Frustrating. I wanted so much for this to be good, but I have to say bad when WWE can't find the time to let wrestlers actually wrestle on a wrestling show. Yeah, like it's Cesaro and Chad Gable. These guys will tear the house down for you and they will put on a great match and the crowd will be really into it. Like I I know AEW takes all these shots at WWE for sports entertainment and we talked on the SummerSlam post show about there's a lot of good wrestling in WWE. But there is a lot of sports entertainment in there too and and and, and this is that. It's it's like in a couple in, in when they had Riddle versus AJ Styles, but didn't promote it. They just announced it like during the show. Like people will tune in to watch these things if you let them like do this. I get it. SmackDown. There aren't there are net, there's not a lot of time. We talk every week about how everything on SmackDown needs more time. But man, like I'm not giving this a bad 
because it, it it's not it wasn't bad for anything they did. It was just bad for what they didn't do and could have done. I, I, I'm going to give it a good. It was good for what it was. I just wanted a heck of a lot more out of it. The Alpha Academy is doing such good work. And they're always in these like five minute segments. And like, I'm glad they're on TV. But man, these guys can freaking go like unleash these dudes. These guys could be your biggest heels outside of Roman Reigns on SmackDown if you let them. Like, man, like there's so much potential there. And in Cesaro, Cesaro. So I, I'm not giving it a bad, I'm, I'm giving it a good, but man, just a, a missed opportunity there. Yeah, I just can't, I can't go good with a two minute DQ match. And by the way, they've done this with Otis interrupting two minutes into a Gable match like mm-hmm. a dozen times at this point. So it's repetitive. Mm-hmm. I do think Otis is being booked strong. I do think Gable by proxy is being booked relatively strong. Uh, Cesaro, we hadn't seen in weeks coming out of you know his title match that he had. Um, but it's just all... It's just, it doesn't work. This was bad. I, I have to disagree. Uh, Shinsuke Nakamura and Rick Boogs fought the Dirty Dogs in a tag team match. KO had a great line about being impressed Boogs can make a denim singlet work. Uh, Apollo Crews cut a taped promo during the match, demanding revenge. Nakamura caught Dolph Ziggler with a single arm exploder and hit his sliding German suplex on Robert Roode. Ziggler hit him with the zigzag behind the referee's back outside. Roode saved Ziggler from a pump handle slam, and Nakamura saved the fall after a super kick by Ziggler. Eventually, Boogs avoided a famouser and hit his pump handle slam, it's kind of unique, uh, finisher for the clean 1-2-3 win on Ziggler. So Boogs has now beaten an ex-intercontinental champion and ex-world champion in back-to-back weeks, his first two matches on SmackDown. We got solid wrestling and plenty of time for a strong match between four guys who can absolutely go. There was nothing not to like about this, but I would love to see the Dirty Dogs back in a title picture, maybe on Raw. I'd love to see them move back over to Raw. This was really good. Uh, yeah, for sure. I shouldn't I, say really good. This was good. It was good. It was good. Yeah. Not just Rick Boogs, but he's Rick Boogs. Crowd pops big for that. They, they love that. This guy is super over. The whole him and Nakamura thing is, is great. And obviously, Nakamura is not the best promo. Honestly, we're, we're kind of getting to the point where Boogs is the star of this. <laughs> and Nakamura is just kind of like the, the accessory who has the cool theme, who does the dancing. But um, yeah, this was this was really good. Really liked it. You can't argue that they're not booking Boogs well. Like he, no. I mean, look at what they've done with this guy. He gets huge. Look what they did on SummerSlam. They just, they <laughs> let him do an entrance for the sake of doing the entrance for no reason like, whatsoever. I, so much about WWE depresses me, but man, I am so freaking happy for this guy. Like it is just awesome to see him out there. I've liked him since the day he debuted with the air guitar gimmick mm-hmm. as Eric Bugenhagen in NXT. I saw that. And man, everything he has done since getting this opportunity and the opportunity, don't forget, I think it came with like that Old Spice commercial, right? So you get him for that. And that was like around WrestleMania time. And I guess they saw that this guy has personality and they start using him. So good for Rick Boogs uh, and good for everyone in this match. I thought this was a good yeah. segment. And, and this is this is where like, obviously he's a performer, former college wrestler. He, he can go, he's learning how to wrestle. He looks pretty good in the ring. But this is, this is, this is when you do sports entertainment, right? Yes. Yes, this is good sports exactly, entertainment. It's exactly what you're going for. Everybody totally. likes it. Totally. Uh, Naomi approached Sonya Deville backstage saying that she was excited to be on SmackDown. Sonya looked confused as to why she was there, which just like the women's segment on SmackDown that I mentioned earlier, Liv Morgan's promo about Zelina Vega and Carmella, 
was a good way of WWE creative basically calling itself out for otherwise unexplainable booking. They kind of put it front and center. Uh, Sonya told Naomi she wasn't sure she could measure up to the rest of the division. And Naomi started going off about her credentials only for DeVille to say that she would decide what she was going to do with her next week. Wrestling does not need to be complicated. This was simple and effective. It gave Naomi a storyline about being overlooked without forcing a quick singles match. I loved how Sonya reacted to the whole thing with contempt. This could be Mm -hmm. a storyline that gets DeVille back in the ring. It could be a storyline that leads Naomi over to the bloodline, potentially, if she's not going to get credit and respect on SmackDown, this new brand that she's on. They just need to follow through with something. But for step one, day one, I'm going to go with good for this. Yeah, and I, I think they had another video on, on their YouTube of her um, backstage too doing this. So yeah, this is, get some sympathy. Everything she's saying is real. She She's more than credentialed to uh, to be in this position and she's not getting it. So I hope something comes of this. It's good to see Naomi and it's good to see them highlighting what she has accomplished. And so this is encouraging and we'll see where it goes. Absolutely. Uh, we had Dominic Mysterio against Sami Zayn in a singles match. Ray said that Dom needs to step up and Ray needs to step back and give him a chance to fly. He also said Pierce gave Dom a match and he was confident that he could win it. Uh, Zayn avoided an early 619 with Dom flying through the ropes and hitting his head. That led Ray out to the ring. Dom eventually hit a 619, but Zayn rolled away to avoid a frog splash and caught him with an exploder and a haluva kick for the clean one, two, three. Dom didn't want to hear from Ray after the match. And there's a clear storyline here, uh, but they both got time. Zayn won and he celebrated right on top of Dom. I thought this was good. Mm-hmm. It, it was a new kind of matchup. Good to see the Mysterios get away from the Usos. Dominic, again, like, it's been barely a year since he joined WWE. And this guy has all the natural ability in the world. He still looks like a baby kid with his face, with a large, larger body. But he can really go in the ring. And this was a really fun match. It's good to see him get these get these spots. And, and good to see some father-son kind of animosity building there. So Because this has been built up over several weeks leading into SummerSlam where Ray and Dom are telling each other what to do, what to not do. So it kind of makes sense that it would turn this way after they lose and it kind of goes from here. So uh, yeah, certainly good. Uh, we had uh, John Morrison against Omas over on Raw. Morrison was friendly backstage talking directly to Omas, explaining to him that he was supposed to fight The Miz, which they advertised all week, but he chose to challenge the biggest guy on the roster instead. This didn't make a shred of sense. Uh, Morrison botched a parkour jump off the steps and lost to a two-handed choke bomb in a couple minutes. This match never should have happened. They just split Morrison from Miz. Clearly, I thought, we thought, with the intention of pushing Morrison, and now they have him get squashed, basically, by Omas before the feud with Miz even continues. This was just straight up. Bad booking. Yeah, this was bad. I did like the beginning of Morrison's promo where he's talking down like he's I, I thought he, I thought I had missed something. I thought he was talking to the interviewer or something like that. And then he says he, he needs to be the bigger man. So he wanted to come to the biggest man he could think of. And he, then he looks up and Amos is there. So that was a nice little work of camera, uh, camera panning out and stuff like that. But yeah, just I don't know why you had to put him in this position. You know, I don't know what the Miz situation was, if he couldn't be there or something. 
but just have him squash somebody or don't have Morrison on the show. Like, why have him go out and get squashed by Omas? Announce on the show that the Miz and Morrison match is going to happen next week. And if you need a match to, first of all, don't put a match in this spot. Allow every other match to get two additional minutes, right? That's the first thing. They, They shove too many matches on and too many of them are short. But just don't have them wrestle on the show. That's all they needed to do. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I, it, it was just weird. And, you know, we've talked about it. We really like what Morrison's been doing. I mean, look at those ricochet, ricochet matches that they did. They were awesome. This guy yeah. can really go and, and people get behind him and can get behind it. I just don't get this decision. I'm certainly giving it a bad. And if you want Omas to squash someone, there's more talent on the roster he can squash. There's so many people. Just let, let him beat, uh, you know, Brit, instead of leaving our truth and all these guys out doing the 24-7 thing, let him beat Akira Tozawa. Let him beat R-Truth. Let him beat Drew Gulak. There's so many dudes that you can just throw to Omas. You don't need to use a mid-carder in John Morrison. It makes no sense. And then immediately after that match, they gave us Xavier Woods and AJ Styles. As soon as that match ended, Woods came out to fight. They didn't even announce this match was happening at all on the show. There was no storyline reason for it. Woods dropped Styles on the barricade and hit a step-up senton inside. There was a bunch of good wrestling. But the crowd, this awful crowd, refused to pop for this match. Woods hit a flying dropkick with Styles in the Tree of Woe. Styles cut Woods in a calf crusher, and he tried to get out, but tapped just inches from the bottom rope. Like I said, this was a good match in front of a terrible audience. I'm not going to downgrade it just because the audience sucked. I gave it three stars and a B minus. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it, it, it was it was fine. Like I said, a surprising thing that just popped up and, and I guess we're doing this and you know these guys have good chemistry I still 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 think AJ and Omos need to be faces I, I, I think people would really be into them but you've got RK bro there you've got New Day there it's not really any room for it they have so, no they have no heels on the roster yeah, yeah you you, you kind of just get put with this and um but no it, it was good it was good what we got the Viking Raiders are faces too the only heels are T-Bar and Mace and AJ Styles yeah. and Omos I mean that's all they got Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, Karrion Cross fought Umberto Carrillo. I tweeted this. Um, oh, I was looking f- so forward to this match out of <laughs> pure shout and fraud because <laughs> oh, I just wanted to see Karrion Cross looking like a moron. Not because I dislike him. I actually think he has potential on the main roster, even though I didn't like him in NXT. I just can't believe they're doing this, and I couldn't wait to see them do it again, basically. Uh, so Cross comes out in the same absurd mask. I think the suspenders were slightly different and a little bit better. And his gimmick now is modern day gladiator. That's how they referred to him. Absolutely stupid shit. Carrillo got spurts of offense, but he ate a forearm while flying, followed by the Doomsday Saito and the cross jacket submission. Everything about this cross introduction has been botched. No vignettes, no character motivation, lost his debut, looks like an idiot no Scarlet. This was somehow, and I say this only comparatively, Chris, this was the best that we've seen carrying cross <laughs> so far, uh, but, but, but it's still absolute terrible garbage. I'm going to go with bad instead of ugly. That is me being super, super nice. It's got about <laughs> as much chance of getting over as orange Cassidy. I, I feel I, I feel bad for him at this point. I, I don't understand how you can botch the introduction so poorly multiple times. They've done every like, single thing wrong with him. 
every single week it's bad. And this one, it didn't get worse because I don't know if it could have gotten worse from last week. Holy crap, man. Like I, I, I thought that I, I thought for sure they would change some stuff because there was such a backlash to it. I was like, oh, maybe he won't have the suspenders or something. Maybe he'll just have the mask or maybe they won't do the mask. I, dude, what? Everybody trashed that thing. And then they come up with the same thing. This, this poor dude does not deserve to be in these types of gimmicks. This is one of the worst things. This is one of the worst gimmicks they've come up in years. Yeah, I, I, I don't understand any of it. I don't understand how they think anybody likes any of it. Absolutely mind boggling. Holy crap. This and Dewdrop on the same show. It's just, it's absolutely absurd. And and what's really crazy about this, and I won't, I won't spend much more time on this, but what's really crazy is you have to believe WWE has no one checking in to see what fans think. Because the reaction to this last week, I mean, the reaction across from the beginning has been bad. But the reaction to last week, the gimmick change or alterations or whatever, was 100% negativity. So -hmm. if you're a good company, if you're someone that cares about creative and cares about pleasing your fans, you have people seeing what fan sentiment is, right? WWE's putting RKO, RK Bro, I'm sorry, in the main event because they know fans like them. They hear the pops. So they're going ahead and featuring them. That's smart, right? When people get over, sometimes WWE ignores it. Other times, many times, WWE leans into it, which is really good. But if they have anyone paying attention to social media, they had to have seen the 100% complete negativity from this last week. And all they had to do to fix it was not have him come out in the mask and maybe not the suspenders. That's it. Just my my only thought was forget it existed. I, my only thought was they've done a reset so many times they felt like they couldn't do another reset. I, I it's not even a reset. You just have them leave the mask backstage. Any week. Well, I think look, Chris, honestly, Chris, honestly Chris, they, I think the suspenders are worse because he's he's wrestling in those. Okay, they're bad too. I'm just saying, but but all they had to do was say, okay, don't don't wear those anymore. Like Drew McIntyre, any week they could say stop bringing the sword to the ring. They did when Drew was doing the. Um, the stupid story time things, right? He did it every single week for like two months. All of a sudden, they just said, you're not doing that anymore. It's easy. One week, they said, hey, Shorty G, you're going to be Chad Gable again. It's so simple to just do it. You cut a promo or you don't. You ignore it, right? You just, you make people think that it was a figment of their imagination, <laughs> right? They don't trust us anyway to be smart. You just, you make them think, okay, oh, wow. Remember that one week he came out in a gladiator mask? That was weird. Okay, Karrion Cross is quote unquote back on track. That's all you need to do. The so, problem is he's never been on track. That's I know no one works. That's why him. I say quote unquote. But like, yeah. But that but literally that's all it is. It is as simple as just forgetting the thing that happened the week prior went down. Every part of this is wrong. I mean, every part the, the 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 camera work of his entrance with the giant screen behind him. This guy's supposed <laughs> to look He looks like an ant. I know. You got to come up close on him so he looks big. That's the whole point. They just, they, they, they're far away, so he looks tiny. He looks like an idiot with all this stuff on. They don't tell us anything about him. And they tell us to, what was it, kneel and pray or whatever it is? Fall I mean, and pray. Any clue yeah. what the fuck that means well he's been doing like, that that's since day one in nxt that's his gimmick i know yeah. but i don't know what that means 
based on what I've seen on the main roster here. Like it's they, every single part of this is bad. I do not understand it, it at all. It's incredible. It's almost like they expect us to know who Karrion Cross is coming from NXT, but they want us to not know who Dewdrop is coming from NXT UK or other people that they call up coming from NXT. They want you to almost make believe they didn't exist before. But with Karrion Cross, they're doing nothing to get him over. They all, why would you take away like you said, all the, look, look, he sucked in NXT. We know this, okay? But NXT and but they, Triple H did every single thing they could to get him over. They did good mm-hmm. camera angles. They gave him a great entrance. Um, the with, entrance was amazing. With smoke and, and red lights and Scarlet, his gorgeous wife by his side. And they've taken away every single thing that made him tolerable in NXT. And now he is just absolute dog shit on Raw. Nothing about him is redeemable. Zero. Zero is redeemable about carrying cross. And I can't even believe like we're spending time on it, but that's how bad it is. Like it has to be said. Okay. Yep. Speaking of bad, do drop against Eva Marie in a singles match. We're going from strength to strength here, Bill. Uh do drop attacked Eva before the bell with a senton and a splash. The referee didn't count because the bell never rang. So do drop counted one, two, three. The ref then called off the match. And Dewdrop announced herself as the winner. Eva didn't sell a single thing during the entire beatdown. This was technically better than doing a two-minute match. But the name Dewdrop is absolute trash. The fact that she's embracing it is stupid. And none of this is getting her over. We took a wait-and-see approach on this storyline because we thought when they broke up, she would drop Eva, she would drop Dewdrop, no pun intended, and go back to being Piper Nevin or another more normal name. Instead, they broke up, the name stayed, and this thing continues to suck. Straight up ugly. I'm going to give it a bad only because I do like Dewdrop slash Piper, and I'm glad she's getting some shine. I I just want her to get out of this as soon as possible and to, yeah, to do what they did. Who's the heel here? I, I, I thought... Eva's Dewdrop's a heel, but then she's but Dewdrop's just attacking someone before matches start and and do it. Just ugh. this is bad. <laughs> it's, just, it's horrendous. Uh, the Viking Raiders fought Jinder Mahal and Veer. The Raiders cut a short promo backstage and started a new raid chant. And we've been missing a chant from them since they dropped the War Raiders name. People used to chant War when they were the War Raiders and before WWE uh, War Machine. Uh, so I like that. They're giving fans kind of a reason to chant behind them. I hope they do that more. Veer in this match and, and Veer in totality, I have to say, he keeps showing potential. Like, I think they may actually have something in Veer. He's easily the best uh, between him, Shanky, and Jinder Mahal. It's not even a question. Eric escaped the Coloss and Ivar did a huge cannonball outside. Mahal got singled out and lost with the Viking experience. Not an exciting match by any means, but again, it was Raw giving us a fresh matchup. It got plenty of time and the proper team won. Again, that's a low bar to clear. It wasn't a good match, but I actually thought it was good for Raw. Yeah, in the context of Raw, it's fine. You know, and, and, and I'm between good and bad. I guess I'll give it a good, but it's it's kind of like my, it's kind of like my, uh, my Cesaro, Chad Gable good, where it's like, all right, I didn't hate this, so I, I guess it's a good. Yeah, I mean, the way I look at this is you have a team that recently challenged for the titles, getting a clean win over a, over low carters. That's what we say mm-hmm. all the time we want, right? Yep. Like, yep. we just want some of these matches so people can get work in between storylines. 
So they did that. Mm -hmm. So I have to give them credit for it. That's why I said good. Uh, Reggie was on location again at a skate park. Akira Tozawa was dressed in a dog costume and R-Truth was wearing a blonde wig. Reggie did some parkour shit and escaped again. Look, I'm okay with variety. We know it's sports entertainment. The Reggie stuff was good the first two weeks when he won the title and the first time they did stuff on location. But every ensuing week has basically just gotten worse and worse. I said bad last week, so the only thing worse than bad is ugly. This was ugly. I'm not giving it ugly. I'm giving it a bad. But no, you're right. This is now, what, three straight weeks of pre-tapes on, on a thing? Like, we're not... Nothing is advancing. Like, I liked the uh, the Viking Raiders Street Profits... Because it was different at least thing every week. they did. Because yes. it was different every week, and they, like, told us a story over two months or however however long that took. This is, this is not doing that. We're just... It's the same thing every week, so... Nah, I, I'm giving it a bad. And it's too bad because, like like you said, Reggie was doing good stuff and he was interesting. And why are you not putting him in front of a live crowd to do fun stuff in front of that live crowd? It's, it's insane. <laughs> I, I I don't know. That That's like the whole point of him. So, yeah, no, nah, it, it, it's a bad. Uh, two more things before we get out of here. Uh, first, a PW Insider also reported while we were taping that Vince McMahon was extremely unhappy with the original plans for Raw. Quote, ripped up the script several times, including the original plans and the first rewrite. And one source described the PW Insider as, quote, the loudest and angriest they'd ever seen McMahon on a show day. So that at least explains why Raw was so odd and strange, Mm. but it doesn't necessarily explain the decisions that were made, many of them which were horrendous. And then lastly here, uh, there were quick videos across SmackDown and Raw featuring a new connected NXT logo that has spikes on the end of the N and the top of the T. Also a splash of color and a new track playing in the background from rapper Wale. It's certainly a stark difference from the black and gold logo, especially since Triple H went like off the deep end and he went real heavy metal with the skull and the wings and all of that shit. Mm -hmm. Now, I liked Mm -hmm. the original old black and gold logo. Don't get me wrong. But they went way too crazy with this heavy metal aesthetic that they've been using since the rebrand, um, since they moved to Tuesday nights, basically around WrestleMania time. So this is simultaneously a welcome change, but it's also odd given the brand's history. And all I have to say is, look, we're going to have to see how it goes. They taped three episodes of NXT. uh, So last week's show, this week's show, and next week's show. And the assumption by everyone is that following that show a week from now, um, we're going to see the new logo, new packages, Uh, new branding, all that type of stuff. I will say, I like the logo, the way the N, X, and T are together. The colors make it look Nickelodeon-esque. It makes it look like they should be playing the theme song from Guts behind it or something like that. But I'm not going to judge it until I see it, right? Maybe it all looks good on TV or maybe it looks ridiculous. I thought when AEW started and they did all those colorful cannons that they were shooting, I thought it looked stupid. Mm -hmm. And then I, I like, no, no, I but I'm saying it. initially, and then like oh. a month into dynamite when they showed the video packages and the card graphics and all that, I was like, man, this looks really cool. So they changed my mind. Maybe, you know, NXT will do the same. Yeah. I, I don't mind it. I even, even the splash of color, like it's, it, it, I'm fine with a complete change here because I, I, I think it needs that. And they keep emphasizing that we're kind of starting a new era of NXT. So it makes sense to do all of that. We'll see what the whole graphics package and everything looks like, but um, no, I don't hate it. I know some people thought it looked like kitty stuff at first, but 
I, I don't think so. That that style is in. It is. Like, just splashy colors, you know, you see it on shoes and shirts and, and all kinds of stuff like that. That's certainly a style that is in. So I, 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 I'm curious to see the whole thing, but I, no, I think it looks good. It is, it is very modern. And if their goal is to attack, uh, attract, I'm sorry, uh, a teenage audience, which NXT skews the oldest out of every show that's on ma- uh, major television, uh, then I understand why they're doing that. I mean, I, I'm not like a colorful guy myself. Like almost everything in my closet is navy or a shade of blue, gray, <laughs> black, you know, tan. Uh, I do have some other colors, but not much, right? I'm not, I'm not one of those dudes that just dresses in like purples and, and pinks and things like that, right? Um, but uh, I got, you know, someone reached out to me to do like a social media type of product deal uh, for my personal Twitter account. And they sent me a backpack that was created by an artist that it's like this crazy popular artist in Miami that has a featured show that sold out all this stuff. And the backpack's like the exact same colors as this logo, like pink, blue, Mm. red, white, yellow, like all that type of stuff. So this is, you're right, it's a very modern design. And I don't think wrestling fans have that mentality. But yeah, like Nike has created shoes uh, that change color in the sun that are these exact colors. And this is what's popular these days. It's got to be different. I mean, AEW has the black and gold now. Like those are their colors We've got we've got red and black. We've got blue and white. Y- y- you have to do something different. And, and and this is certainly something that stands out. And, uh, you know, we'll see how it goes. Yeah, we'll see. You know, let's see when they actually have it on a stage or what the set looks like or the card graphics. That's really going to be what tells you. Also, really, the in-ring presentation and the product that we get from NXT, that's far more important than what the logo and color scheme looks like. And we will figure all of that out. In a couple of weeks, as far as what's ahead here on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast, we will be back this Thursday. Not only will we talk NXT, but we will have an AEW all out ultimate preview with vintage Chris Vanini joining me to break down that entire card. We'll also, of course, wrap up uh, AEW Rampage and Dynamite from the last week. All of that on Thursday's show. And then on Sunday, around 6.30 p.m., 30 minutes before uh, the I think it's called the buy-in, right? For AEW All Out, we will have a 30 uh, a 30-minute live show on Twitter Spaces. You can join us by following us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. We will send out a tweet that will allow you to set a reminder timer, or you can just tune in at 6:30 p.m. Eastern and join us in that live show. We'll break down the entire card, give our last thoughts, and we'll also hear from you, our listeners. We allow you guys to provide your comments and ask questions to us ahead of the show. And then Sunday night, as soon as AEW All Out goes off the air, we will have instant analysis of that pay-per-view. So a loaded week, once again, not as loaded, thankfully, as SummerSlam week was a couple weeks ago. But nevertheless, a couple really good shows still left for you here. And the way you can thank us for all of this prime professional wrestling audio entering your ear holes is by remembering that getting over So please leave those five-star ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts. Let people know how much you love the show. Tell your friends and family that they should listen. Help us grow our numbers so that every episode of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast is a new number one all-time like our SummerSlam instant analysis, or at least in the top five like the CM Punk instant reaction show last week. I appreciate you guys so much for all of that. So for Vintage Chris Vanini, This is the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, and I'm going to leave you with three final words. 
Bye for now.